it means to be a Christian in our country. Um, As we do that, let me pray, and then we're going to have a special start to the actual message here. Father, thank you very much for the blessing of being able to come together on this Independence Day and to reflect on what it means to be an American, what it means to be under your hand as an American. Um, And God, we thank you just for your hand in our history. Uh, We thank you for the blessing of being in this country. Uh, Lord, we ask your your spirit to to move in us now, to speak to us, to guide us into all truth. Uh, We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'd like to ask you to do to get us started today is I'm going to ask Ian to come up here, um, and I'm going to ask you all to stand and face the flag, and, and Ian is going to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. for Ian for coming up here in front of you all. Good job. You're good. Thank you. So the reason I asked Ian to do that is because I wanted us to ask the question, and it's an important question to ask, should we do that? Should we, as the people of God, pledge allegiance to uh, a nation or a republic or a flag? And it's a very, very important and serious question for, for us to ask. A lot of you said yes automatically, and, and uh, I want to let you know that as I bring this message, I spent about 20-some-odd uh, years in the Air Force uh, serving my country, so I might be a little bit biased. Okay? Um, but we do need to ask that question. Before we say yes, we need to, to think about why we're saying yes. Uh, if you consider what it would look like to ask that question in 1930s Germany... We would, if we were all Germans, have said, yes, definitely, we need to to be allied and and in allegiance with our country. Uh, And the German church, for the most part, did exactly that. And we know what happened with that as World War II came out and as as Hitler came to power. And so we, the people of God, need to ask that question, uh, where should our allegiance lie? How should we support or not support our country? Uh, What does it mean to be a Christian and to be a patriot? seen a lot of stuff in the news lately about folks not standing for the national anthem, turning their backs when it's played in, in Olympic trials and that sort of stuff. And, and so, so these questions are, are worth thinking about. And that's what we're going to think about briefly today as we talk through. Uh, we're going to be starting with 1 Samuel 8, uh, verses 4 through 7, but we're going to kind of move around a little bit. This is uh, more of a topical discussion as opposed to just going through one passage of Scripture. Um, and so uh, I'd invite you to turn to that. If you've got your Bible with you, there should be Bibles in the pews in front of you. It was brought to our attention last week that some of them have been taken, and we've ordered more, so, so we'll have them uh, all available underneath the chairs in front of you. Um, but, uh, but if not, it's on the screen here, and, and I'd invite you to read along as we, uh, as we look at these verses. So, um, <clears throat> oh, my verses didn't come out. Okay. Um, I'd invite you to read along as I read along. Um, you know, I was, I was going to 
say something when I got up here, and I, I kind of forgot to, but um, when I found out that Pastor Keith is here, I felt like the pressure was really on. I'm, I'm not a pro at this, as you've already gathered, right? Um, but I realized that's nothing, because my granddaughter is here, and that is pressure. So, all right. So anyways, looking at uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 7. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now for context, the nation of Israel has been established by God in the promised land, the, the area that around the present-day nation of Israel. God has given them that land. He's given them that victory. He has appointed what the Bible refers to as judges, but are really kind of like rulers over them to help them through difficult times and that sort of thing. And now these people are like, we want a king, and they say this to Samuel, who is God's prophet. And so picking up in verse 6, When they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Okay? That's sad. Okay? It's sad that the people of God would reject him and want a temporal government to be their safety and their leadership as opposed to the God who created the universe, that, that awesome God that we just sang about. And, and if we're not careful, we can very easily fall into the same pattern where we look to something other than God uh, to be our answer to the things in this world. So as we talk about patriotism this morning, I'm going to talk about what patriotism actually is, especially from a biblical perspective. And then just a quick reflection on how maybe we should think through that as being patriots and, and Christians in this great country. So, uh, and just to keep the kids a little bit more in, in, involved, uh, whenever I say nation, kids, I want you to say uh, America. Okay, so if I say nation, you say... Yeah, and somebody said it. If you want to say Murica, you can say that too. Okay? So this is a great nation. There you go. Okay. So, so follow along and, uh, and keep yourself involved here. So, so thinking about the definition of patriotism, okay, this is... It's nation. Nation is the word. There you go. So thinking about the definition of, of patriotism, this is what Merriam-Webster says. It is love for or devotion to one's country. If we're going to run with this definition, there's two key terms that I'd like to think about. What, is, what does it mean to love? And two is, what is a country? All right? And I'm actually going to talk about the second part first, because I think that's the place where we tend to trip up a little bit more. So country can mean land, or it can mean people. It can mean the bureaucracy or the, the, the system that is government. In America, based on our Constitution, it's kind of people and the bureaucracy. They're all kind of mixed together because it's a government of the people, by the people, for the people. Right? But here's what I want you to think about. If you think of God being over everything, okay, and then people are under God, and he works directly with them. And then we've got this thing called government as well. Right? And, and where does government fit into this picture? Well, the Bible tells us that government fits in under God as well. And I don't think most people would argue that government is less than God, but this is a specific structural thing where God actually operates through government, just like he operates through people that aren't part of government. And so here's what I want us to think about as we think about this biblically. I'm not just pulling this diagram out of my head. 
This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that God established a nation for himself. Thank you. You guys are on it. He established Israel for himself. It had boundaries of land. It had different sorts of government. And here we just had an example when we're reading through 1 Samuel here where they're now wanting to have a king instead of kind of a looser form of government. But God established that and maintained that even after they had kings, the nation of Israel, all the way through history until Jesus comes. And then if we look at the New Testament, the, the, the part of the Bible that talks about after Jesus came to the earth, we find that, particularly in Romans chapter 13, Paul gives us some instruction here, and those verses are on the board or on the screen there. Hopefully you can read it. Um, he says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Now here's the thing. As Paul is writing those words at a time when Nero, a Roman emperor who is hostile to Christians, is in charge. So he is writing that under the Roman Empire, which is not the nicest place to be, not big on personal freedom. Right? And he's saying, hey, you have to be subject, we have to be subject to the governing authorities. Right? So that's where I get this picture that's on the, the left side of the screen behind me, is that the government is placed in place by God. Does that mean that he is responsible for every single thing that happens? Ultimately, because he's in charge of everything, I suppose you could say that. But he institutes governments, and even when governments go wrong or bad, he is still ultimately in con- control over everything. Okay? Why does this matter? This matters because if I am going to be a Christian patriot, I have to understand that what my government does is happening under God's auspices. It's under his control. And ultimately, God is both bigger than my government and in charge of my government. Okay? Whether I'm thinking about the system of government or just the people, God is in charge of all that. So when I pledge allegiance and my government is going in the right way, the way that God says, I can, I can be a 100% cheerleader, I can be part of that, I can say, hey, let's go this way. And, and when my government starts to move off kilter, I can, I can happily oppose, legally oppose, that, that system and say, hey, you are leaving God's purview, his plan, come back. Let's come back to where we're supposed to be. So, so I can be faithful to God and faithful to, to my government, but I'm not being uh, completely subservient to, the, to, to my government. I'm being completely subservient to God. Contrast that with this idea on the right side of the screen there where God and government are somehow kind of separate, where, where God is like over here and this is God's stuff. Okay, or That's probably backwards for you guys. God is over here and this is God's stuff. And government is over here and this is government stuff. And, and the two don't mesh up very well. Even though I know God is in charge of everything, the government, oof, it's a mess. Okay? And, and so I will do one of two things if I have this picture, the picture on the right in my head. I will either, if, if I'm sold out for God, I will say, I want nothing to do with government. Government is bad. Government is evil. Government is wrong. Government should be just done away with. Okay? Okay? And, and that's not the right answer. Okay? All right? So, so, so I will get too far to the God side and forget that God is actually in charge of the fact that the government is there in the first place. Right? Or I will do just the opposite thing. is I will say, hey, that's God's stuff over there. But this is something the government needs to do. And so I will happily support a policy that goes against God's standards because I see the practicality of needing to support this government. In other words, 
my allegiance becomes with government over God because I think the two are separate. But they're not. They're always lined up. That is the biblical picture. Okay? And so we need to think through that. As I say, hey, should I be a patriot? The question is, am I supporting a government that is separate from God? Am I supporting it in a, in a concept that, hey, government isn't really related to God? Or am I supporting a government and a government system that falls under God? And am I doing so under God myself? And that's the, that's the challenge as we think about that definition of patriotism, to know what the country is all about. We, we need to be thinking rightly about how God has established what a country is. The other thing we have to think about rightly is what it means to love. Okay, so here's what I would say would be a, a working definition of Christian patriotism. Love for your fellow countrymen. Okay? I am a patriot because I want the very best for you. I want the very best for whoever's in Cedar City. I want the very best for whoever's in the state of Utah. I want the very best for whoever's in the United States of America. Okay? That is a biblically consistent definition of patriotism. And what that means is I'm loving my countrymen. And the Bible is absolutely clear, Jesus was absolutely clear, that love is what we're to be about as his followers. Um, when somebody asked Jesus, what's the biggest thing, what's the most important thing, the greatest commandment, he said to love God. And then what did he say after that? Anybody know? To love others. Okay, to love your neighbor as yourself. So, so we have to be people who are concerned about others before ourselves. Uh, Jesus said in John 13, 35, this is how you'll be identified as mine if you have love for one another. Okay? So if we are not loving others, we are not belonging to Jesus. Right? And, and, and Paul kind of reflecting on that famous chapter in uh, or, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 where he talks about love as patient and kind and all that sort of thing. He, he goes into chapter 14 and he says, pursue love. This is what we're supposed to be about. And so as a patriot, I want to love my countrymen. So I want to love my country. I want to do the very, very best for those who are around me. And that also means that I want to love my government. I want to do the very best for my government. And this is where the definition of love is, is critical. So if I think love means just support, just affirmation, just getting along with, I'm wrong. The biblical picture of love is a love that is both affirming and encouraging when things are right, but disciplining and confrontational when things are wrong. So my love for my government demands that when I see my government going in the wrong direction, that I stand up and say, no, we should not do this. We cannot do this. Uh, and so that's how this picture of patriotism works in. And the last big thing I want to talk about in terms of our love, and this is very, very important for us to embrace as followers of God, okay? is that other nations fall in this command as well. <laughs> Jeff's on it, okay? Um, we do not have license to exclusively love our fellow Americans. Okay? We do not have license to, to propose or, or advocate for policies that denigrate people south of the border or people on the other side of the earth, okay? The Bible is absolutely clear that we're not allowed to do that. Here's what God says in Jeremiah 22.3. Thus says the Lord, do no wrong or violence to the resident alien. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy 10.19. You are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And in Philippians 3.20, Paul reminds us that we, but our citizenship is in heaven. Okay? We have a bigger picture than being citizens of the United States, as Richard alluded to earlier. 
We are citizens of heaven, and so are our brothers in China, and so are our sisters in Mexico. And so as we advocate for policies that preserve our national sovereignty, which is legitimate, it's not because we want them to go down and us to go up. It's because we realize that a nation isn't a nation unless it actually has sovereignty. Yeah, there should have been two there. Okay. Okay. So it's important for us to realize that, and that's kind of one of those hot-button issues, I think, sometimes in, in our national conversation. Um, at times, I have to love my fellow countrymen in a way that is somewhat exclusionary to other people outside of our borders, but I'm not doing that because I want them to decrease and us to increase. I'm doing that because that is the nature of nationhood. Okay? That is the nature of maintaining what we have. Okay? I didn't really define whether, if it's a compound word, you should say that. So. <laughs> All right, so let me talk about some reflections. If what I just said is true, and I believe it is biblically, okay, uh, I want to I talk just about a couple of things that come out of that. First off, uh, you are not here in America by accident. God intends for you to be here. I don't care if you are a resident alien, a citizen by birth, or whether you're here illegally. God has you here, and that means something. Okay? That means that you are part of what's going on here in our nation, and therefore, uh, you have uh, a task from God, okay? So here's a cool story from history, I think, that illustrates this well, about how God is concerned about where people are and what they do. I don't know if any of you heard of the Battle of Monongahela. If you haven't, just say that a few times, because it's fun to have that come out of your mouth, okay? But this was during the uh, French and Indian War, before the, the Revolution, George Washington was a young author. He's pictured here in the blue coat. So the British were marching up this road in the wilderness, and the French and Indians ambushed them from both sides. They were, they were shooting at them. Something like 1,000 British died in that battle, and only like 30 of the French and Indians did. It was a rout. Okay? There were 86 officers in that British contingent, and 85 of them were shot. Who wasn't shot? George Washington. Okay. Um, at the end of the battle, he had had two horses shot out from an, an underneath him, and he had four bullet holes through his coat. Okay. And so here's what a, uh, one of the Indian chiefs that was involved in that battle met George Washington years later, and here's what he said through an interpreter. interpreter. He said, during that battle, I called to my young men and said, Mark yon tall and daring warrior. Our rifles were leveled, rifles which but for you knew not how to miss. T'was all in vain. A power mightier far than we shielded you. Seeing you were under the special guardianship of the Great Spirit, we immediately ceased to fire at you. Okay? George Washington was saved by God at the Battle of Monongahela because God had a specific role for him to be instrumental in the birth of our nation. Okay? You may not be a, a George Washington. I certainly am not. But no, God's hand is no less on our lives. He no less intends you to be part of what happens in this country uh, than he did for George Washington. And it's important for us to note that uh, because this is somewhat controversial, probably not in this room for most people, but it's controversial in our culture to say that we live in a historically great nation. And, and I love this uh, kind of joke that says, you know what? The United States is a horrible, corrupt, evil country unless you compare it to any other country. Because it's true. Today or in history, you, we have more freedom in the United States than anybody, anywhere else in the world. 
we have an enormous amount of wealth. Sometimes that can be a trap. But did you know that something like $286 billion a year are sent from the United States okay, to charitable causes? That is an amazing thing. Do you know that world hunger is, is dropping precipitously largely because the United States, both technologically and economically, has been such a breadbasket? The United States has ended two world wars for the cause of good. Right? And, and one of my favorite stories comes from a guy who did an around-the-world trip. His name's Robin Graham, and this comes from the book Dove. But he does this around-the-world tri- trip, and he stops at this tiny... He's in a sailboat. He stops at this tiny Pacific island. And when he gets off and he says, I'm an American, they just love him. They, they bless him. They provide for him. And he's like, what's the deal? And they're like, you know what? Uh, during World War II, these people came, and they oppressed us, and they took over Ireland, and they used it for, for their own good. And then Americans came in, and they kicked them out, and then the Americans left. That's beautiful. That's holy for us to send folks overseas to go free people and then just leave at, at no benefit to, our, to ourselves. We have a historically great nation. We're part of a historically great nation. So. <laughs> Here's an example of how God's hand has been on our nation. I don't know if you know the, uh, the Battle of Brooklyn Heights, also called the Battle of Long Island, but George Washington, who we were just talking about, got himself into a fix. He brought his whole army expecting to, to fight against the British coming in from the sea, and the British came around to the other end of the island and came over land. And what happened was the entire Continental Army was trapped. So George Washington says, we've got to get off of here. We're going to get killed in this battle that's coming up. And so he tries to evacuate his entire army at night. It was August of 1776. And he was unable. Only half of the army could get off the island at night. They just didn't have enough boats to get across. So half his army is stuck on the island. And if you know anything about war, retreat is one of the most vulnerable times that you can ever be uh, in conflict because you have a small amount of folks left behind to fight a full-force army, right? So what happened the next morning? A uh, unanticipated, unusual, super thick fog fell over the whole region. They said you couldn't even see 20 feet. So you in the back of the room would not be able to see me. That's how thick the fog was. And it stayed around long enough that the entire Continental Army could evacuate. Okay? That is God's hand preserving our nation. Because if General Howe had been successful in that campaign we never would have had a revolution that was successful. So God's hand is on this nation, has been on this nation. And part of what we need to to think about is when we say America is great, we're saying that America has been blessed by God. Not that we are great. Not that we have some special divine appointment or anything like that. We have just been recipients of God's blessing. And so as we have this Fourth of July, Independence Day, we should, if nothing else, be spending it thankful for what God has done to give us the freedom and the prosperity and the blessing uh, that he has given us and through us to the rest of the world. The last thought here, patriotism, uh, your patriotism, matters to the future of this country. If we think about what's going on in our country right now, our greatest enemies are domestic, not outside. There are people here that have forgotten God. Okay? 
We may, some of us in this room may be in that spot. And we need to realize that that is the greatest threat. And, and there's all kinds of fussing because people go, oh, we've got a domestic enemy. We'll pick up your M16. This is a fight that doesn't get won by an M16 rifle. It gets won by John 316. Because it is a problem of sin. If you think about what's going on in our country right now, some of the things we struggle with, our our country is facing a mountain of debt. These little ones that are in the service with us today are facing tens of thousands of dollars, maybe more than that, that, that's going to be put on their backs by us. And, And so we say, oh, it's a debt problem. It's not a debt problem. It's a spiritual problem that says, I should have more than what God has given me. And I'm going to go into debt to do that. Right? That's, this, that's the problem. It's a spiritual problem. If we think about social issues, and there's a bunch of them, and I, I totally wanted to get on my soapbox and go through them all, but I'm only going to do one. Okay? And, and, and if we have a society that says, hey, you know what? You can, you can walk away from God's plan for how you relate sexually to other people. Okay? Whether that's homosexuality or heterosexuals who are, who are living outside of marriage and, and relating outside of marriage, okay? All of that, when we say, hey, you should have personal freedom to do what you want, even though God says this will bring you condemnation, that is a spiritual problem. That is a sin problem. Okay? And we have the answer to that. And some of you are like, dude, it's family Sunday. What are you doing talking about that? Okay? My answer is go turn on Nickelodeon for 24 hours and watch it and see that our kids are already getting taught things that we would rather not talk about. Okay? So we have to talk about it. And here's the thing, is, is if we are engaged, the gospel changes everything. If you're willing to share and live the truth that Jesus Christ came to this earth as the Son of God, that he lived a perfect life and that he died for our sins, that we have no hope without him, and that he has said, just put your trust in me and you can have an abundant life, you can have eternal life, you can have a full life, All you have to do is put your faith in me and follow me. If we will live that and share that, we will see our nation blessed. More and more and more and more. And and that is why it is important for us to talk about patriotism. And I will say, if you don't know Jesus as Lord, if, if you have not personally put your faith in Jesus... You are unequipped for this fight that we're in. You are unequipped to bring this nation to uh, God's knees, um, or or this nation to its knees in front of God. And so I would say, if that's you, let's talk about that afterwards. I'll be up here. Richard will be by the next steps table back there. I'd invite you to have this conversation about who Jesus really is and and what he means to us, because he is the answer. And, and, And that's the bottom line. We as patriots... Okay? We have to understand that God comes before country. He comes before our nation. But, but that doesn't mean he's opposed to our nation. And if we're willing to live a Christ-centered, self-sacrificing life, that is the best, most patriotic thing that we can possibly do. Our nation needs Jesus. We're the ones who God has appointed to bring it, bring that message to the nation. And if we are patriots, we will engage in that. We will do that. Closing thought. Okay. Our, our, our country does need you. Okay. And the answer is for us to bring Jesus to the country because the gospel changes everything. Let's pray.